Hey guys, Joe DeSena here for Spartan Up Podcast. I am with my team, Colonel Nye, Sephra, the Forager. We got Dr. Johnny Waite. We got Marion on the camera. Cal Fussman, an old buddy. You guys probably have watched that podcast or listened to it. And if you haven't, uh, check him out. He was a writer for um, Esquire magazine. Interviewed amazing people. He introduced me to this young kid, Alex Benayon, who I interviewed in California. Ends up on The Price is Right. And I'm not going to tell you anymore. His whole life transforms in a way that's uh, incomprehensible. Good way. So I'm looking at my phone, and it's uh, Come On Down. Is uh, What was that TV show, Come On Down? Price is Right. Price is Right. It used to be Bob Barker. Come on down. So, so um, yeah, I remember that show. It's not still on TV, is it? I think it still is. I, I know a friend of mine went on this show. On Price is Right. On Price is on the, Right. On the, on the current show. Drew Carey was the, the guy in charge. And uh, it's an amazing story. In fact, I gotta get his name's Alex Benayan. I gotta get him here to the, tell you the, the story. The kid that was on Price. That's is right. He's twenty years. He's twenty years old. Okay. okay? Uh, I'll give you a little setup. Yeah. Uh, but he's got to tell the story because it's it's his story. But basically, this kid. Uh, do people aspire to be on Price's Right? <laughs> like, no, no. He had, he had no. He didn't even know how to play this game. Okay. The only thing he knew is like sometimes when he was home from school sick, you turn on the TV and you hear those words, come on down. That's all he knew. But he knew it was great and he knew you could win something. Right. So basically this kid is, he's an immigrant, or actually his parents were immigrants. So he's a child of immigrants and the parents are really on top of him. Uh, and they want him to become a doctor uh, because if you're a doctor, you never have to worry about uh, somebody, a dictator uh, taking, your, taking your life out of your hands. You have a skill that's needed. And so when this kid's like seven years old, Halloween comes, the parents are dressing him up in scrubs. They, they, they're they imprinting yeah. in this kid's head. He's going to be a doctor. He's going to be a doctor. And so... He gets to college, fully thinking he's going to be a doctor, and then he's got like a stack of biology books in front of him, and he quickly discovers, I I don't like this stuff. And he doesn't know what he's going to do, because his whole life he's been programmed to do this. And so he's staring up at the ceiling, wondering, like, what what am I going to do? How am I going to be successful? He starts wondering about this word, success. And which, still- which, by the way, is the whole point of the podcast, right? We, we're trying to determine what is it that makes people successful. That's what this kid want to know. Right. So he's, he goes to the library college and he starts reading about people who are really successful. He was Bill Gates, the richest guy in the world. What made him successful? And as he's reading, he's realizing that he, he just wants to know what they were doing when they were 19 right. so that he can do it. And he's not really finding the information he's looking for. So he realizes, I got to write this book that I want to read because it's not out there. So he now knows, all right, what is it going to take me to go out and talk to all these successful people to find the answers I want to know? I need money. And so he's sitting in his dorm room 
at night. He's got finals approaching, big stack of books next to him. And over the internet, an invitation comes to go on the price strike. And he starts thinking, maybe I'll win. I'm going to cut the story off there. Right. I'm going to bring him back. Okay. And he will tell you this story. It's just great. It's just right. great. All right. All right. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. There I, you go. It all went from me getting a text, come on down. <laughs> I'm glad I saw the text. There you go. All right. Now tell me about um, Tony Robbins. You were walking on fire yesterday. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, so tell I'd me. never seen Tony Robbins before. Like, you see him on TV, being right. interviewed. Yeah. He's, and he's big. Huge. Huge, yeah. But, but it's more than his size. His size is just a metaphor for right. the size of the guy inside. Sure. And then, like, at the end of it, he's got, like, 9,000 people ready to walk through fire, which it's been burning for hours. And then they take these coals that are, like, 2,000 degrees. Yeah. And you've got to walk through like a little bowling lane over the coals. And he teaches you how to do it. Yeah. And like the amazing thing is like just as I get up to the line, he said, no, no, we need some fresh coals. <laughs> 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 and you know, they take shovel these red hot coals right in front of you. And but Tony's taught you like, you, don't, don't think about this. Don't hesitate. You get up there. And you got a mantra, and you yes, 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 yes. You're looking up because you don't want to look down at the coals. He's figured everything out, and then you're done. You're saying, I thought this was going to be longer. I could have done I need, the, I need more coals. I need more Give coals. me coals. Yeah. <laughs> this is Light me on fire. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we, our last obstacle at our races is a fire jump. I had no idea. Yeah. So, oh, so man. We're, we're on the same page there. So what do you do in the, in the fire so jump? So basically there's a, there's a, a pile of, of wood burning. And you've got to get, you know, you're standing there and you've got to get over this fire to get to the finish line. So um, metaphorically, very, very, very similar. Oh, the last obstacle. Yeah. So I was doing a filming once and they wanted the fire behind me. Right, so they were like, "All right, back up to the fire, move over no. to the left." So it's feeling like hot, right? I'm feeling it on my back. I'm standing there for you know how film goes, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they go, "All right, now pour the gasoline on," because they wanted like a big. Oh, I'll tell you man. what, the whole backside of my body was like, it was like I was singed. Oh man, we need another cut. I was like, you... oh so man, I've been, I've been there. That's, you know what it yeah. reminds me of when you're saying it's like that seen in a Woody Allen movie where he's out in the street and a guy's trying to park into a tight parking space. Yeah. So Woody Allen goes out to help and he says, like, back it up, back it up, a little, little more, a little, little more, boom! Yeah. Perfect. Right. Right. That was me. Oh, well, let's, let's um, I want to meet the Price is Right kid. Okay, his name's Alex, yeah. And, and uh, we'll get together, we'll have some fun. That sounds beautiful, man. I'm glad I'm, you came down. How far away are you from here? Is it far uh, or not? Uh, it was uh, about 25 20. minutes. Okay, good. So this is crazy. You guys just heard it. Um, I somehow think of the prices right. I'm sitting with Cal. You just saw this. And here we go. We got this guy. What's your name? Alex. Alex. Nice who, to meet you. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Good point. We got to do those things. So um, Alex, um, well, you heard the story, right? You heard the story. Um, is a little lost. Was supposed to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. Let's hear it. What happens? So You're this growing was... up in scrubs. <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, it was actually more than just scrubs. So you have to understand, like... When you're the son of Persian Jewish immigrants, it's you realize, not... You realize this says Spartan. 
<laughs> and you're the Persian. Yeah, so... Right. So we are at battle from, right. like, 5,000 years ago. That's okay. It's in our bloods. <laughs> uh, it's not just a career path. It's sort of like a life when you're yeah. born into it. Yeah. So, like, in third grade, not only did I wear scrubs for school for Halloween, I also, when I did finger painting in kindergarten, my mom put it to the side and put skeleton charts on the refrigerator. Wow. So like that was my childhood and my mom is amazing, but wow. that's how I grew up. Were you were you resenting it at any point? Like like No, I love this is like what made my parents proud of me. Right. And when your parents are proud of you, you love it. Right. So I'm like, "Hey, for summer camp this year in high school, I think I want to go to pre-med summer camp." Nice. My parents are like, "Great." Got you. I didn't So there were skeletons and like literally skeletons Yeah, in like the literally my nickname was the doctor in second grade, I kid you not, because yeah. the PE coach, this is a true right. story. I actually never told anyone this story. In second grade, the PE coach said, everyone in the class gets an A if you can answer this question. And like, he was just coming up with the craziest thing. Right. He's like, what What's is the, the name length? of this bone? Right. And like, second grade me is like, <laughs> and he's like, you're kidding. And I'm like, phalange, phalange. And like, I became the hero of my whole class. Wow, wow. That so, was the so one it, time it ever made me cool. <laughs> yeah, it does, pay, it does pay to have, um, I guess, knowledge of all kinds of things. Yeah. So, so, um, so you don't resent it. You're defining yourself by it. Your parents are pushing it. You're right. looking cool to your friends. When did it go off the rails? What happened? I was 18, freshman year of college. Yep. Were, I, were, you, were there any signals up to 18 that, nah, I gotta shake that out of my head? There were signals, but I wasn't self-aware. There's this great quote that says, the writing's on the wall, you just don't think it's for you. Got it. Right? So, when I was in... What was it? Give me a signal. When I was in high school, although I was taking all the bio class and whatnot, like, I spent all my time on student government. I spent, I remember reading this book senior year of high school called The Definitive Book of Body Language. And I thought, like, I was discovering, like, the secret to how the world works. Right. I wasn't reading medical journals. I wasn't, right. I didn't right. have any interest in that. So I finally get to college, and I'm this pre-med, and... Where are you? Where are, what school? I was at USC, okay. so nearby here. Yeah. And I remember very vividly... Excited to go into pre-med? The, like, the most excited. Right. I remember my grandpa, who was, like the king of advocating me being a doctor, right. looking at me with, like, pride in his eyes, and I right. felt like I had achieved, like, my life mission at 18. Yeah, right. And then, like, fast forward, like, a month later, and I'm, like, more depressed than I've ever been in my entire life. Wow. Wow. The crazy thing is, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, no, please. Is um, I have bec become friends with a family in Japan. I live in Japan now. And they had me, two months ago, speak to their son, who had the same setup, mm. Japanese parents, the yeah. dad's a doctor, this kid's gotta become a doctor. And just a month ago, I can't do it anymore. I hate it, I don't like it, I wanna become an art. Had to confide in me, parents had him How old was he? Wanted to kill himself. Wanted oh, to kill himself. And so um, I helped divert that situation. He's becoming an architect now. He's probably your age, and whatever, yeah. the first year of med school. So anyway, sorry to, sorry to interrupt. No, that. I can. Not to that extreme, but because I can Because he didn't want to go back to the dad and say, I, I don't want to do this. You're trapped in this prison of shame that you don't even know you're in. Right. So I remember I was like almost moonlighting. So I'm in this like life crisis, but I can't tell my parents. So my right. parents are calling me house school. I'm like, it's great. And then you sort of create this like dual personality. And through this dual personality, while I was going to pre-med classes by day... What are you doing By night, now? I'm like in the library going through the self-help section and the business section. I'm reading the four-hour work week and my mind's blowing because when you're yeah. 18, it blows your mind, you sure, know? And sure. 
I remember realizing. I know Tim Ferriss. You know Tim Ferriss. Um, the whole four-hour work thing—that's a joke. Everybody's got to work more. Don't, Tim, just Tim works. He works forty, fifty, Tim works seventy very hard. hours a week. Yeah. Um, but we is. can be more efficient. We can do things better. But but um, if you're watching this and you think that you can work four hours a week, uh, maybe in France, but nowhere else. Right. <laughs> anyway. anyway. In, Brazil. in Brazil. Maybe in Brazil. <laughs> All right, so you're reading these books. So I'm reading these books. and Vociferous I'm, appetite for this thing. Right, and I, I realize that I'm on my dorm room bed staring up the ceiling every day, and I realize, okay, not only do I not know what I want to do with my life, I have no idea how all the people I look up to did it. So when Bill Gates was a sophomore in college, how was he selling software out of his dorm room when nobody knew his name? Right. Or when Steven Spielberg was 19, how was he getting a contract at Universal when security wanted to kick him out and he had no byline and no... Right. Hits to his name. These are the questions they don't really answer in school. So very naively at the time, I realized, well, I have three months during summer vacation, and if no one's going to write the book I'm dreaming of reading, why not just write it myself? Yeah. So I thought it would be very simple. I would, like, call people. But, but, but at that point in time, did you say, I'm done with med school and I'm going to do this, or I'll just juggle both? Juggle both. Right. Like, again, when you're 18 and you yeah. don't know better, right. you think you can study in the day and right. call up Bill Gates at night, and you can make it both work. Sure. So that I thought was the easy part. I thought Bill Gates, you know, he helps. Yeah, of course he, he helps. Course, course. He helps people as his full time job. Like, why wouldn't he help me? You know, and you're a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> you want know, to something very embarrassing? This is like probably one of my more embarrassing things. You know, like on an airplane when they're like, "Is there a doctor on board?" You raise There's your hand. There's a part of me that has to like hold down my yeah. arm. It's me, I, I know exactly the name of the finger bone. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is, I, again, another thing I don't think I've ever told someone. It's just, I literally have to hold down my arm. So with Bill Gates, I just thought, of course he would want to help me. Right. I'm not just doing this for me. I'm doing this for my friends and my generation. Like, right. I, I just want his wisdom. So that I thought would be the easy part, getting the interview. The hard part, I figured, was getting money to go travel to Seattle to go see right. him. Right. I was buried in tuition payments. I was all out of bar mitzvah cash, and I didn't want to take another job, so right. I just thought there had to be a way for some quick money. Right. And I know you just said you love The Price is Right, so that's where that comes in. Yeah. So this, well, it's not that I love uh, The Price is Right. I did, I, did you grow right up watching it? A couple times, but The Price is Right hasn't entered my mind in 20 years. I just happened to spit it out two days ago next to Cal, and he's like, i got to tell you a story. And the reason I spit it out was there was a text that came on my phone. I think that's, what was it? What, come on down. <laughs> that's what it said, come on down. It's the famous words. The words that changed my life. Well, it got me here with you. <laughs> that's really funny. It was like a really dumb get-rich-quick scheme. Right. So I'm 18. It's right. two nights before final exams. And I'm sitting in the library. And I remember I'm just thinking, like, how am I going to get this money to go see Bill Gates? How am I going right. to get this money to go see Bill Gates? And I find tickets to The Price is Right. And I was filming, like, a few miles from campus. And I had that thought of, what if I just go on the show and win some money to fund this dream? Um, clearly not my brightest moment, but my bigger problem was I'd never seen a full episode of the show before. Right. You know, you see clips of it when you're homeschool yeah. sick. Well, I would imagine, I said to Cal, I, I didn't think it even existed anymore. So It's so, the longest-running game show in American history. Wow. And who's the new host? Who, who? Drew Carey. That makes it even more interesting. So... That night, right. I make a pro and cons list, and I do the whole thing, and right. I, I decide to do the logical thing and study, but I don't pull an all-nighter for finals. I pull an all-nighter to study how to hack the prices right. Nice. And I go on the show the next day and execute this ridiculous strategy and end up which winning. Was, which was? So the way they make it look is, I don't know if you remember the show, but they go, 
speaking of come yeah, on down, yeah. they go, Joe, come on down. Right. They make it sound like it's like this lottery that they pulled your name out of the hat. Right. What I had learned during my all-nighter of research by going on the 27th O of Google right. is that there's a producer who interviews every single person in the audience. Got it. And not only is there a producer, there's then an undercover producer who's like planted amongst the audience who then confirm or denies the casting producer selection. So my story is like less Albert Einstein hacking and more Forrest Gump. Yep. But So you, yeah. you, fi- you figured out, all right, I'll, I'm going to get picked? Yeah. And then once I get picked, how are you going to win money? I didn't think that far ahead. I right. just thought, and again, this comes back to the four-hour work week. One right. of the great lessons I had learned in that book is the 80-20 principle, right? Yeah. The 80-20 of the price is right is there's 300 people in the audience. Right. Eight get called down as contestants, right. and one of those eight wins. Right. So if you can figure out how to go from 300 to eight, yeah. Yeah. that's the hard part. Yeah. Eight to one, I figured, would just like I'll let fate take that. Right. So this is how you go down from the 300 to the eight. You ready? Yeah. And the funny part about this is I've trained three friends to do the same thing, and all three of them have gone on to wow. the show. Wow, wow. So you should start a business. <laughs> you should call it comeondown.com. I think pay $10,000. I think the, the look on my grandparents' face going from doctor to comeondown.com. You could be the, the doctor of come on down. With a white lab coat. Yeah. Again, it was really crazy. I didn't know how much like milk costs. I was a freshman in college, you know? Yeah. So I get down there, and the second I get there, they go, uh, leather chair and ottoman. I don't know how much the leather chair and ottoman costs, so I'm like $400. And the audience laughs at me. And because they laugh at me, everybody gets higher and higher and higher. Someone else won. By the next round, it was a billiards table. And again, like, my cousins have a billiards table. Like, how expensive could it be? Right. So I say $500. And again, the audience laughs at me. Right. And they go higher and higher and higher. And... I don't know if you remember, but if you guess higher than the retail price, you're out. And because they had all laughed, everybody guessed over, and I won by default. Got it, got it, so got jumping. it. I didn't, know, I didn't know that. Okay, so because you keep coming in low, right. you're winning. So this is an important part. Right. Before I got onto the show is yeah. where everything got set up. In addition to getting hacking the selection process, one of the key moments was that while I was waiting in line, I realized, okay... Now that I'm selected, how am I going to play the show? How am I going to play the games? I hadn't researched any of that the night before. Right. So I, I took out my phone and Googled like how to play The Price is right. right. 30 seconds later, security took my phone away. Ooh. All right. So I sort of find myself in sort of like ground zero at this right. point, And I look over at this like older woman who's sitting on this bench next to me. Right. And I just like, I was in a pissy mood. Right. My whole dream like came down to my phone being taken away. Right. And she looks at me and she asks me what's wrong and I just start sulking and telling her like, look, I have this dream to go interview Bill Gates and this book. And she's like, honey, you remind me of my grandson. And I'm like, do you have any advice on how to play? And she's like, sweetie, I've been watching the show for 40 years. And she like pinches my cheek and she starts giving me this advice. And I'm sure you can relate to this, like decades of wisdom start downloading into my head in like 30 seconds. And this idea comes to me and this light bulb goes off and I thank her and I give her a hug and I jump to the person next to me. I'm like, hey, I'm Alex, I'm 18. I've never seen the show before. Do you have any advice? And then I jump to a group of people and a group of people and another group of people. And over the course of an hour, I speak to almost half the audience, telling them the story and crowdsourcing all the advice. And the biggest piece of advice across the board was always underbid. Got it. 
So when we get onto the show... But you would have underbid anyway because you just don't... Because know. I did. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so, you're, so you win. So I won, and this is the thing. I was 18, yeah. and I got the... I won a sailboat, sold yeah. the boat, and that's how I funded the book. Yeah. The sailboat I sold for maybe like... Seventeen thousand dollars, but when you're a broke college kid only eating Chipotle, like that is a million dollars. Ten million dollars, yeah. It lasted (laughs) ten million dollars. It really lasted me the entire time. And so then you got the money. You still got the problem. You got to get to Bill Gates. That was a two. To my surprise, Bill Gates uh, didn't want to do the interview. I'm surprised. (laughs) I'm surprised. A doctor that wins prices, right? (laughs) No, not a doctor. A pre-med dropout. There's a difference. Maybe you would have done you, it. Had you dropped out yet, though? No, I hadn't. I was right. still, I was still in school, and I was still pre-med at the right. time. And you had seventeen grand. And I had seventeen grand, and I'm like the on Chipotle top, king, on top of the world, buying like, free guac for everybody. Yeah. I am the king. Yeah. So, <laughs> do you get invited back to Prices Right if you win, or, or you want no? To? You actually have to sign a contract that you won't step foot for like ten years or oh, something like wow. that. Oh wow! Wow. So most people can only you only win a sailboat or something. You're not going to win uh, more than that. It doesn't. Like, what's the most you could win on the prices? Maybe right? like a car, or an RV, yeah. or it. something like that. That's like the grand prize at the Got end. Got it. All right. So now you start calling Bill Gates. So that took two years. All right. It took one year. Now, what'd you do? So two years, you stay in school? What, what'd you do? So those two years, I did stay in school. Pre-med? I left pre-med. So this was the problem with pre-med. Yeah. What I've realized, and this is sort of like a pattern in life that... I'd be interested if you can relate to this. I'm sure you can. Life sort of puts these like checkpoints that sort of make you, when you're like moonlighting or dividing your time, it sort of puts an ultimatum in front of you, whether you like it or not. And yeah, we, we just talked about it today, actually. Um, somebody very smart that owns Angel List said to me, Naval. Um, Naval. He said to me, um, you know, every, all of us do five things. You can't do five things well. And so if you really want to do something well, you got to hone in, stick to it. And, and it might be family, right? It might be the relationship. Whatever it is, um, you got to focus on that because otherwise stuff falls apart around you. So you found that. I agree. I, I got forced to make those decisions. Right. The first one was with pre-med. I, again, wanted to write the book in the summer, but this pre-med advisor said the only way you will stay pre-med is if this summer you devote the entire summer to chemistry summer school. And no way you were doing that. And no way I did that. And of course, cue right. crying parents and this, right. and their, right. their whole dreams are but being mom, shattered. But mom, I won the prices right. Clearly, I'm meant, <laughs> I'm meant for better things. <laughs> I got a sailboat, ma. It's funny. In my eyes, this is like a sad drama. In your eyes, this is like a comedic, like, leave it to beaver episode. <laughs> I'm very happy that you view this so funny. I, I still, like, have trauma from my mom crying for weeks. <laughs> Has she come around yet? or the, the, is She has come around. My mom's amazing. Cool. Um, I didn't think she would come around, though. Yeah. I was scared. I was scared she They was. love us unconditionally. That's what's great about parents. So, that disappointed. She did put, you know, 18 years into hanging skeletons in your closet. <laughs> and um, you destroyed those dreams for her, but she came around. The hardest part, though, yeah. was not just leaving pre-med. A year later, on my quest to get to Bill Gates. So yeah. what happened was, after I leave pre-med... Yeah. It took one year to get on the phone with Bill Gates' chief of staff. Nice. Who's the person who pretty much runs the operation. Yeah. And Bill Gates' chief of staff, it took a year to get on the phone, and he was really nice. 
And I was like 19, and I couldn't, I was like on the phone in like a CVS parking lot eating ice cream on the phone with yeah. Bill Gates' chief of staff, and I was yeah. over the moon happy. And he told me, in hindsight, I think this was his way of like shooing me away, but I took it seriously. He's like, look, if you can get like a, we love what you're doing, but if you, you, you have to get a book deal with like Penguin or Random House, and then call us. Good luck, bye. Right. And I thought, I didn't know what Penguin or Random House was, I'm like, right. that's it? Yeah. Now, how hard could that dude, be? Dude, I got a sailboat. <laughs> a penguin? Again, it's like... I'll go to the pet store right now and pick up a penguin. <laughs> I like my life through your eyes a lot better than my life through reality. Yeah. <laughs> Penguins are easy. In a house? Like, yeah. how, how complicated could that be? Yeah. So, so um, now you got to go get a book deal. So I had to go get a book deal. Right. And, of course, that becomes this, like, another eight-month quest to go get this book deal. Right. To my surprise... And you're, and you're not in school now. So I'm still in school at this uh, point. Okay. So this was w- just one year after The Price is Right, I get right. this phone call. Right. And while I'm in school, but you have to remember, like, I'm ditching my classes to go right. to the library to study how to get a book deal. Then I'm right. ditching more classes to go write the proposal. Right. Sure. So this is all going over the course of my sophomore year. Yep. Finally, yep. after this eight-month journey of getting rejected by dozens of literary agents and all this whatnot... I get the literary agent. I have the book proposal. And to get the book deal, my literary agent pretty much told me, you have to finish it by next month so we can send it out before they go on vacation or whatnot. And junior year of college was starting. And I had this moment where, going back to what Naval said about the five things, splitting your time, I knew if I split my time between classes and studying and trying to finish this proposal... You're dead. I'm dead, yeah, right? Yeah. Look at the public industry. Most authors can barely do it when it's their full-time job. Sure. Plus, I was a nobody kid, you know? Yeah. So I did the really hard decision, probably the hardest decision of my life, which was deciding to step away from school. Yeah. If the book deal works out, you're, in your mind, you're already a, a New York Times bestselling author. <laughs> three three times New York Times. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you might go buy the sailboat back. <laughs> What's awesome about Cal and his wife laughing in the background, it's kind of like The Price is Right. <laughs> We've never done a podcast where there's like a laughing audience. And it's a lot. Yeah. Cal just so you know, they're not really laughing. We have a sign that says laugh now. <laughs> it's actually just a, it's a, yeah. it's a soundtrack. Cal and uh, his wife Gloria have been like a second family to me. They've been your anchor. Right? Much more than that. They've yeah. been your anchor. So, so, but from their perspective, you've been a bit of an uh, anchor for them too. I'm kidding. I was like, where does this go? (laughs) More of a noose. But, but, um, so so you drop out of school, tough decision, you've got 30 days to write this book. And when your back is against the wall... You get it done. You you get it done, and I finished in 11 days, and... Well, I finished in eight days, and 11 days after I stepped away from school, I got the book deal. Nice. Now, again, to my surprise, yeah. I call up Bill Gates' chief of staff. I email him. I'm like, I got the deal. And he goes, congratulations. And sort of that's his only thing. <laughs> I'm like, well, clearly. Dude, he- I dropped out of school. I won the <laughs> prices right. You've changed my direction of my life, my family, my ancestors, and my future kids. <laughs> Everybody. <laughs> no response to my emails after right. that. Nothing. No response to my emails after that. Right. And that, um, that sent me on a whole other course of rejections and rejections from Warren Buffett. Right. I, another one that I can't believe rejected you. 
I mean, Look, these, are, these are regular everyday guys. You know, Warren Buffett, actually, I hand-wrote him, the first time I contacted him, I hand-wrote him a letter, and to give him credit, he hand-wrote a response Ooh, back nice. and mailed it back. Nice, and you know it was his handwriting. Yeah, because I had read, well, yeah. I would hope so. Yeah, sure. But I would imagine it was. Nice, I like that. I mean, do you go drinking at that point and say, I can't believe my... I wasn't old enough to drink. Right. <laughs> 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 so, like, I had a lot of kombucha or whatever. Uh, yeah, it gets me drunk, this stuff, because I don't drink. So, I went on this quest thinking, if I can just get to Warren Buffett, Buffett will then help me get to Gates. And right. So, that's a story maybe for another time, but what ended up happening is, finally... After all these rejections, I realized, and it was from the advice of Larry King, who introduced me to Cal. Got it. And Larry taught me something that I'm sure seems like common sense, but to me it was like the most novel idea I'd ever heard. We were talking during the interview with him. I was asking him about like how he launched his career and all the other interviews I'd done in the past, whether it's with Tim Ferriss, he was teaching me cold emails, or other people were teaching me about cold calling. Larry taught me like the craziest thing I'd heard of. He said to go knock on people's doors. Love it. And I swear to God, in the interview, I go, what do you mean? <laughs> well, I mean, in the old days. And we, he goes. Used, yeah, in the old days, we yeah. had lanterns. We had doors people <laughs> knocked on, right? We had phones with rotaries. He's like, doors and windows. I'm like, you mean windows <laughs> Today, XP? You like, just what look, are you yeah, you just look down, right. So it was like this novel. I, I swear to God, I was 20 years old, and it literally blew my mind when he said knock on doors. And I asked him, like, what do you, can you explain it? He's like, look, technology over the past 50 years has grown exponentially, human beings have not changed. Right. They respond to eye to eye. Yep. And I realized all this time talking to Bill Gates' office, cold emails, phone calls, right. in- email introductions, there, were, there was never a human connection. So I called my mentors at Microsoft and I said, look, you guys have put two years of your reputation on the line for me and I'm extremely grateful. And I know you're burnt out from all these rejections. I just need Bill's address. <laughs> <laughs> if you could just give me his address and, and the day when security's not out front. <laughs> but I, other than that, I don't really need much. You know, that, that reminds me, truthfully, I, I'm, not, I'm not kidding, that, that's an, another story about Steven Spielberg in the south of France. Nice, all right. So that's, that's yeah. a whole table, that one. Cal's rolling his eyes, he's like, oh, don't say the Spielberg story. <laughs> So once Larry gives me this advice, I realize I need to go see the chief of staff face to face. And I yep. knew he was at every year goes to the TED conference, which I knew was in two weeks. Yep. So I tell my mentors at Microsoft, look, this is my final bullet. This is yep. all chips in. My final request, please, please, please. If you can get me two minutes with the chief of staff at TED in Long Beach, and if it doesn't work, I'll never, I'll never, call, I'll never call you. Yeah, and that, never, and that alone and that, would make and, them want to do it because they're like, please don't call me anymore anyway. Right? <laughs> they want you out of their lives. So like, anything to get you to stop calling. I think for my audiobook, I need you. <laughs> like, just like, there's two versions. There's the, there's the unedited and then there's the joke cut, which is, all right, reader, this is where Alex really f***s up. <laughs> and they email the chief of staff over and over, over again. We get no response. And then literally the night before the TED conference begins, at 10 p.m., I get an email. Right. I'll see you at the coffee bar tomorrow at 10 a.m. Nice. So this is like my dream is finally coming to fruition. Yep. And I get to the coffee bar. Yep. I'm there. I'm there like 30 minutes early. Yep. I'm wearing like my lucky underwear, the same T-shirt as the Price is yep. Right. I'm feeling good. Yep. And I get there. 10 o'clock rolls by. 10.15. I'm, I'm still feeling good. 
1020, 1030, yeah. 1045, and at a certain point, yeah. you sort of get the hint. So I took out my phone and I looked up the chief of staff's email and I saw his assistant's phone number was there. So I called his assistant and I tried to be really grateful. I'm like, look, and I got on the phone and her name's Wendy. I'm like, Wendy, I'm extremely grateful this meeting even got set up. I'm not complaining at all. I just, I'm, I'm curious what happened? He, he didn't show up. And she goes, what do you mean? He called me and said, you didn't show up. You're at the wrong coffee bar. I was at the wrong coffee bar. There were two coffee bars. Dude, come on. You got to get <laughs> together at this point. Come on. You, you lost your phone at the prices, right? <laughs> wrong coffee bar. So literally on the phone, this is like two years of my dream on the line. I start if crying I'm, I'm on that, the phone. If I'm that guy, I'm pissed. I, I start crying on the yeah. phone to Wendy. And I, I start gushing, telling her about everything it took to get to this point. And she goes, Alex, I'll, give me one minute. Let me see what I can do. Right. And she hangs up. And about a minute later, I get an email from her saying, the chief of staff has agreed to see you today. And not only will he see you, you can ride in his limo to the airport. So your five-minute meeting is now a 45-minute meeting. Oh, nice. So God bless Wendy, right? Right. So... <laughs> You send uh, Wendy flowers or something? You, you know what? No one's ever asked me that. And I did end up through Cal, through Penny. Penny gave me the advice of, she said, ask Wendy what her biggest dream is. Yeah. And I asked Wendy what her biggest dream was. And it was, uh, she really looked up to this yoga instructor, this really famous Judith Lasseter, this really famous yoga instructor. And I tracked down Judith and put Can Judith and Wendy oh, together. Good, good job. All right. All right, you're not so bad. <laughs> I'm still pissed off for your Joe's, mom. But Joe's, <laughs> Joe's final words, he's not half bad. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm feeling what your parents are feeling. I'm coming around, though. All right. All right. So, so Wendy sets this up, right? Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not going to mess it up. I know there's, I go to the hotel manager to make sure right. there's only one valet right. where it is. Right. And I'm meeting him there at 4 p.m. At 3 p.m., so Tony Shea, as you know, the CEO of Zappos, has this big RV that he takes to TED every year. And Tony was one of the people I had met on my journey, and I told Tony that I was at TED. So Tony let me stay on his RV all day, which was really nice of him. Nice. So I'm on the RV. It's 3 p.m. I have one, me- one hour until my big meeting. And I'm sitting there, and I'm watching the live stream of TED on the TV in Tony's bus. And up through the stairs walks this old man but his he's like behind the sun so he's silhouetted I can't really see his face into the RV into the RV walks very slowly and he takes a seat literally right where you are to me and I look at his face and I realize he's he seems familiar and I look closer and I realize this is Richard Saul Warman the founder of TED wow and he's sitting right next to me and we're all alone and he looks at me and he points at me and then he points to the live stream and points at me again he goes you what do you think give me some feedback Nice. And I'm like, I can't even get into the TED conference and this guy's asking me for nice. feedback. And, I, nice. and I, I give him my thoughts and then he's giving me his thoughts. And then he, go, he launches, this guy is like one of the wisest men you'll ever meet. He launches into this amazing story of how he started TED and how he started all his other conferences. And I'm just soaking this up. Like, literally, I'm on this journey trying to track down are wise you, are people. Are you recording it? Because this could be a guy that you'd be... I, I li- this is one of those guys, Cal gave me a great line once. The good shit sticks. Right. Richard Saul Warman is one of the few people that, like, his words were ingrained into my brain. Got it. It was incredible. Yeah. 
And what you have to know is before he came onto the bus to make sure I don't miss my 4 p.m. meeting, I had sent like 10 alarms on my phone. Right. 3.40, 3.40. The alarms are going off. <laughs> so <laughs> he's going, he's going. This guy talks like really fast too. Right. And he's just wisdom, 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 hitting right. you in the face with no brakes. It is like a, it's like a subway express line, no local stops, right? right. And he's going and I'm just thinking, look, I'm not going to, and he's not pausing. Right. I'm not gonna just walk out on the founder of TED. Right. This is like a once in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah. I'm just gonna just snooze. So I take out my phone and I hit snooze. You idiot. Okay. And I put my phone back in the pocket. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, I said 10 alarms, not a big right. deal. A couple minutes pass, eh, eh, eh. Right. it's not a big deal. I hit snooze. Right. He keeps going and he's giving me this great wisdom. My alarm goes again, my alarm goes again. But I had like 10 set up, so I just keep, keep hitting snooze. Finally, at this point, this guy will not stop talking, yeah. and he's just going, and finally, eh, eh, I just get up, and he still won't stop talking. I jump up, and I go, you're going to hate me, but I got to go, and I sprint <laughs> off the bus before he can say a word. Wow. And I sprint off, and I'm running up the driveway, huffing yeah. and puffing. I'm sweating. This right. is my own Spartan race. Yeah. I right. get up there, and finally, I look at my watch. I'm like 30 seconds early. Love it. I'm at the limo, the driver's there, I'm just in time. I put my backpack in the trunk and I'm looking at the door and finally out walks Bill Gates' chief of staff. Love it. And this guy has like thick black curly hair yeah. and Ray-Bans and a blazer and a briefcase. He looks like Bill Gates' chief of staff. Yeah. He takes off his sunglasses and goes, you must be Alex, right this way. Nice. And I get into the car, into nice. the town car. Nice. And you, we sit there. You've arrived. Yeah, and you know what's funny? Throughout my whole journey, in big moments, I would be petrified. For some reason, there was like a, a calm. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, nice. So you 45 minutes in the car? <laughs> so he goes, he goes, you want to interview Bill? And I go, it's my biggest dream. Right. And he goes, so we spoke last year. Have you made some progress? Have you made some momentum? And I'm like, you know, I have. And I used to always carry in my wallet this little note card with all the names of the people I wanted to interview and green check marks next to the ones who I did. Yeah. So I take the note card out of my pocket and I show it to him and he's holding it with two hands and he's looking, sort of like studying my report card. And he's going down it and he's going, ah, Dean Kamen, very good, we know him. Ah, Maya Angelou. Oh, Larry King. And something in that moment just, I don't know what took over me, but I just almost like shout. I'm like, it's not about the names. And he looks at me like, oh, what? And I just look him in the eyes and I go, it's, it's not about the names. I just believe that if all these people come together for one purpose, not for press, not to promote anything, but really just to help the next generation and pass on their wisdom, young people could do so much more. And he goes, I've heard enough. We're in. Nice. And on the spot, nice. he confirmed him. Did, did he stop the car and throw you out? <laughs> you know, I told Cal, uh, I sh this is the craziest thing. We were just talking about this. I told Cal that when he said I've heard enough, I thought he was going to throw me out. Yeah. And Cal's like, no, you did. <laughs> I'm like, I did. I really thought. I would have thrown him out. I, I, well, it, it would have been great for the movie. Like, like, on the highway. All right, get out, kid. We're good. <laughs> so what's funny is this chief of staff, who I had spent two years trying to chase down and get in contact with, turns into one of the kindest, 
nicest people who has made the book possible. Nice. Um, which again came back to Larry's advice of yeah, knock on doors. I love it. I mean, that's what I, anybody I think that's been somewhat successful in any part of their life. It's uh, taking that initiative, right, to go the extra step. So now um, you're out of money. I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's so really so funny. you get to Gates. I mean, it's kind of like getting to a finish line in a Spartan race. You get that done. Um, where are you with the book? The second I finished with Bill Gates, I thought that I had hit my tipping point, you know? Right. Malcolm Gladwell has the book, The Tipping Point. Yeah, like, right. this is a whole thing in our society, The Tipping Point. Yeah, the president's going to call you next. I mean, it's going to be big. <laughs> You're joking, but I'm not. <laughs> right. right. NASA's probably going to have you go to Mars. <laughs> Again, this is very traumatic moments in my life. <laughs> yeah. So, when I'm done with Bill Gates, like, I'm like, all right, it's now... I, I, I hit on. my, I hit my finish on. line yeah. victory lap time, right? Yeah. I'm Oprah, Bill yeah. Clinton, Jay-Z. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going. Yeah. Nobody's calling. No, no, no. Forget about nobody's calling. Right. I'm like going and chasing them down halfway around the world, and right. it's no, 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 no. And right. I, I'm like banging my head against the wall, and I call my mentor. Um, this amazing, amazing man. His name is Elliot Bisno. He started this thing called Summit Series. I know. And, I know those guys. Yeah. Yeah. So I call Elliot, and I'm like, dude, what? Like, I thought I hit my tipping point. And he's like, you idiot. I told you years ago when you asked me about tipping points, they don't exist. It's a myth. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he goes, look, when you're Malcolm Gladwell and you're looking back on history, there's a tipping point. When you're an entrepreneur in the, just like what you were telling me about the Spartan race of how you started it, there's no tipping point. It's constant pushing. And that's when I realized... Oh my, like that was sort of like Elliot reaching inside and grabbing my naivete and finally for one last time throwing it on the ground, you know? And that's when I realized, got it. It's not about tipping, it's about pushing and it's about being more creative and building a pipeline. Okay, got it. And from there, I started getting a group. You gotta go back to work. Right, so after Gates, the table contents of the book pretty much goes, it goes Bill Gates and then it goes Steve Wozniak, Pitbull, Jane Goodall, Jessica Alba, Maya Angelou, Mark Zuckerberg, Quincy Jones, Lady Gaga. Love it. And it's called? And it's called The Third Door. Right. And the premise, I'm curious what you think of this. So after doing all these interviews for six years, right. I didn't think, I wasn't looking for a silver bullet because I think yeah. that's sort of bull- Yeah. But after talking to people, you start realizing a pattern, right? right? And at the time in my life, I was like 21 years old, and the metaphor that came to mind was... Every single one of these people treats life sort of like a nightclub. And my thinking was there's always three ways into a nightclub. There's the first door where everybody waits in line hoping to get in, right? And that's 99% of society. The line curves around the block. There's the second door, the VIP entrance, where your parents are so-and-so, right? And school and society have this way of making you feel like those are the only two ways in. You either wait your turn or you're born into it. But what I learned and what you know very well is there's always, always the third door. And it's the door where you jump out of line, run down the alley, bang on the door a hundred times, crack open the window, go through the kitchen, there's always a way in. It's the only door I've ever been let into. The third door. Because <laughs> the third you, door. Because you <laughs> let yourself in. That's the key. Yeah, no, the other doors are locked. <laughs> only, only the third door. Yeah. The other doors and are locked. the third door, sometimes there's a little hole for the dog. I go, <laughs> I go in through that one. I have to lose a bit more weight to fit in, but... <laughs> 
Hey, we've talked a lot about uh, the breadth of uh, characters that we get on the show, and they come from all different backgrounds. This one's really different. He, um, he pivoted. He, he drops out of college, which I'm not a big fan of. But when you hear the whole story, you, I, I think to myself, maybe, maybe for some people it is the right move. Clearly for him, it was the right move. Right? If you're not passionate about something, and I guess he, he didn't want to be a doctor ultimately. Right. Well, I, but I don't think college is for everybody. And I don't know what suffers uh, thoughts on all this are, but I, I don't think that college, think college is for most huge. people, in fact. I mean, there's plenty of jobs out there. So, I mean... If you're going to be a writer, you're going to be a stand-up comic, you're going to be a trades guy or whatever, I don't, I don't know that college that you do require it. Well, there's trade schools. All right, right. so, right. so let's, say you, let's say you agree that college is not for everybody. Let's say you agree you should go to college, right? right. Two schools of thought there. Right. One thing we'd all agree on is if you laid out and mapped out what yes. this kid was going to go, you know, the, the road he was going to take, you'd throw it in the garbage and say, that's ridiculous, get back to school. <laughs> right? Yeah. I don't think that's true. Yeah. Yet he pulled it off. No, but I I don't know. I I feel like I lead a lot of my life by like uh, intuition and just going for it. If you put yourself in the path of the people you want to meet, you're going to meet him. It's like it's like um, one time because what I've done, the same thing as he was doing for all those millionaires is find all of like the greatest primitive skills and ecologists and naturalists and all of the ologists. Like I I have to go meet them and I and I figure it out. Easier to get to uh, an an allergist than Bill. Gates. <laughs> just, I've also worked for billionaires, Joe. They're just I'm as just, easy to get to. I'm Sometimes just, they need a band-aid on a foot and they need tea and toilet this, paper. It's all the same this, thing. This is a remarkable story this young and, man has, right? And what, it is quite unique. Wait, he gets a sailboat, he sells it, he goes and meets the people. But the funny thing is, I was saying, I go up to the people that I finally meet and I go, hey, I'm tracking I, you. They go, Sefer, it's called stalking. <laughs> well, so, Isn't that funny? So of all the people I've ever met in the world yes, sir. that have stalked people and go and find they them, go knock on wood. there's you, because I know you, and there's him. Yeah, so, yeah, sure. so, it, so it is yeah. somewhat it's an peculiar. It's an outlier. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, but, but he, he's written a book about it, right, that he calls The Third right. Door. And the idea is there are traditional ways to do things. There are... Ooh. Less traditional ways to do things. And then there's the really creative, got to create your own solution way to do it. And I, and I love that philosophy. The his, MacGyver door. Well, it kind of is the MacGyver door. And, and his idea is, you know, maybe you have the family connections. Maybe you've got the silver spoon. Maybe you go to college and grind it out due to hard work. But there's always another way too. And so, so like you say, a, a traditional thinker is going to look at his method and say that's nuts. But he's, we, we talked to a lot of people, Tim Ferriss, a bunch of others, uh, AJ Jacobs, who talk about hacking. And this is hacking. This, this is saying, I'm going to find a different way to do it that works for me. Actually, when you think about all the people we've interviewed, hundreds mm-hmm. of interviews, right? Um, the successful people do do it a different way. Absolutely. But this, this is not well, the third There's definitely door. some rolling of the dice here, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, but, I mean, it, there's a game show analogy. I mean, he, yeah. he said, I'm going, to, I'm going to take a chance. But here's the other thing with this. Suppose, but suppose me. it didn't work out. It's not like end of story, close script, put the casket in the ground. Yeah. There's still school. There's he's, still all the Yeah, he's young, he's young enough. Right. He can, I was going right. to say, he's, how old is he? I mean, he's... 20-something. Right. Yeah. He could have easily just rolled the dice again, right? I yeah. mean, until... But mo- most people out. never roll those dice. Most people only take the traditional path, right? And yeah. then wonder why they don't achieve um, uh, unique greatness. Well, so the, his thinking was, I'm going to roll the dice. I'm going to go and find a way to do this. And I think there is that safety in that if it doesn't work out, there's always the other way. But the traditional path is cleared, right? Sure. It's yeah. easy. So you just stay on the path. All you yeah. got to do is follow it. Yeah. Walk. You take that untraditional path. With the road, the road that's taken. It's so funny. Like, no, but I'm the saying, traditional but you're, path, what, you're in recorded the, history, what, for the past a, 400, 500 years? 
Who cares about all that garbage? I love the. I love when Sapper gets feisty. All of civilization, is now, all of civilization is now garbage. You know what I was thinking? Yesterday we hiked up the mountain, and um, there's the, the switchback trail that's nice and smooth. There's a snowmobile trail which is pretty rugged, straight yeah. up. Then there's the ravine. And I'm sure yeah. that's the where ravine you went. is the third door. Yeah. That's yeah. the way we went. Yeah, of course it is. <laughs> I don't think it surprises a single person listening. <laughs> Or watching. But if you would like to continue being humanists and follow us on our glorious trail through the basement door or the attic door or whatever door, come to spartan.com slash podcast and watch on iTunes, YouTubes, and subscribe for all the great hilarity that happens and, each and week. And make sure to check out the Rick Harriman Foundation yes. website as well. Thank That's you. Thanks for joining us for another epic story of success. Tune in every Tuesday, learn new lessons with us, and get inspired. If you like our show, tell your friends about it, and let's rip 100 million people off the couch. Follow us on Twitter at SpartanUpPod or on Instagram at SpartanUpPodcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or YouTube so you never miss a show. SpartanUp is brought to you by Spartan Race. To find a race near you, visit Spartan.com. Spartan.